Welcome to Liberty Chats, produced by members of the Steamboat Institute's Emerging Leaders Council. Thank you for joining us. We talk to a variety of experts, leaders, journalists, and policymakers about our nation's founding principles, why they are still so relevant and essential to preserving freedom for everyone, what specific challenges and threats they face today, and how those founding principles best safeguard and empower everyone's ability, young and old, to attain prosperity and personal happiness. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Liberty Chats, a new podcast from the Steamboat Institute. My name is Charlotte Whalen. I'm a member of the Emerging Leaders Council, a leadership program out of the Institute, and I'm excited to be a part of this podcast. The Steamboat Institute is a conservative organization based out of Steamboat Springs, Colorado, and we are dedicated to promoting the values of freedom, liberty, and civil dialogue. Today, our guest is Patrice Nwuka. Patrice is a political commentator and senior policy analyst at Independent Women's Forum. She's a senior fellow with the Alliance for Charitable Excellence and a Tony Blakely fellow at the Steamboat Institute. She has worked in policy, advocacy, and communications roles in D.C. for more than a decade, and she's a frequent guest on Fox News, Fox Business, and PBS programs. Finally, she hosts a column called A New Agenda for Black Women on Newsmax.com and is a contributor to the Washington Examiner and The Hill. Patrice, it's a pleasure to have you. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Charlotte. I'm happy to be here. I'd love to start with your personal story. I know that you were born in the Caribbean and immigrated with your family to Boston when you were a child. What was that experience like and how has that influenced your career? Sure. Well, uh, my family made a decision to come to the United States over 30, I guess, 35 years ago. Um, I was a tyke <laughs> at the time. And we, uh, we come from a small island called Montserrat. Uh, it's a British colony, so we're not independent. Um, and, and there, it's, I mean, it, it looks like a paradise. You've got the, it's a small island, probably 10 square miles. You know, we've got all black sand beaches, uh, which is amazing within itself. We have an active volcano, so that's probably the drawback unless you're adventurous. Um, but what was missing, I think, is really opportunity. And, and my parents, um, middle-class couple, high school edu- high school graduates, um, but they looked down the line and they, they realized there wouldn't be the kind of opportunity for, for their kids um, on the island. I mean, if you're not wealthy or, connect- or well-connected, you're, your kids don't really go to college um, if you don't have the money or the means to send them off the island. So, you know, my parents made a really tough decision to leave everything. I mean, we, we sold our home, very nice middle-class home, cars, everything, and moved to the United States with like like five suitcases of clothes. That's incredible. It, it was. And it was a culture shock too, because you know, we, we moved from, you know, a multi two story uh, family home uh, to live in an attic apartment. Um, it had one window, <laughs> uh, two bed, two tiny bedrooms. Um, and, you know, we didn't have a washing machine. My mom would be washing my, my dad's jeans um, over the, the bathtub every night. And he worked in construction. So she's washing out muck and mud every night after working a full-time job, after cooking a fresh meal for us. Um, I was a latchkey kid. So me and my brother, we made our way home by ourselves through a dangerous neighborhood in Boston, high crime, high drugs, gang violence on our corner. I mean, that's, that's, so imagine the culture shock of leaving a serenity and, and, and a beautiful Island to move to something that's like, why would you make that decision? And, and I still ask them that. And and they still say, you know, America is the greatest place. 
Um, it's the place where you, where, where you're born, what, what family you're born into, what class you're born into doesn't matter. Um, it's the one place where you can dream big and, and see and, and aspire to great things and accomplish that and, and dream big for your kids and see your kids do even more than, um, than what you did. And so, you know, so that's, that's my backstory. We grew up in Boston. My, my parents worked two full-time jobs, construction, accounting, um, they saved their pennies. And, and I will tell you, pennies are what they were earning. I don't know how they raised us on their salaries, but they did it. They saved their money. They bought a house um, outside of the, the inner city on the very outskirts of town. We were one of the first few Black families in our neighborhood. Um, and and they just, they, they worked hard and they modeled for us what they wanted, which is, you know, dream big, have your American dream, prioritize education, um, get married after you have, uh, uh, after you get your education and get a job, then you have a family. Um, and, and that's what we've done. And so I've been blessed to go to great schools and I've been blessed to put all of that education and all of that experience and my, my, my family's dreams into the work I do. And I think that's why I'm so passionate about the work that I do. That's so beautiful. Do you think that coming from such a different background has pushed you towards a career in politics or just policy in general? Yeah, I think so, because my, my family loves politics. <laughs> so I grew up watching PBS NewsHour and uh, watching debates. And, and while I hated it at the time, now I come to consume politics and news and, and economic data all of the time. That's my job. But I understand it. And, and so what I like to do is translate what I'm reading, uh, what I'm trying to understand, translate into everyday, um, everyday, not just vernacular, but but also just uh, you know uh, understanding like what what is the impact on my everyday life for regular people who are not staying on top of the the news every day like I do, um, and I think that helps give. Um, you know, some value to the work that we do, because, you know, what, what's the point of putting out boring papers if nobody's going to read it, if nobody's going to change their, their, their voting patterns or their decisions on, um, you know, their household budgets based on, uh, without kind of insight and analysis. So, so I think that's, I think a part of growing up in that household where we talked about politics, we talked about jobs, we talked about the economy, we talked about savings and all of that makes a difference. And, and I do think it drew me in, but I am far more political than anybody in my family. They certainly are very much, you know, I have my job, I'm doing my thing. And then Patrice, we 100% support you, even if we don't always understand or agree where you're coming from. But we're, but from a value standpoint, they're like, we know you have the right values in you. That's so great. So now you're a policy analyst at Independent Women's Forum. Could you tell us a little bit about IWF and your work there? Well, for those who have never heard of IWF, we are the Independent Women's Forum. Um, we are an educational organization, uh, and we explain how different policies um, impact everyday women, independent women, conservative, liberal women, uh, but how common sense policies are actually great, greater, better for your freedom and your opportunity, how less government is greater, better for you, better for outcomes for your family. Um, and we put them in terms, put it, put all of this in terms that make sense, you know, uh, if you're a parent, you know, how, how does government, um, you know, 
impact your parenting, government telling you what to do from your educational choices for your kids, you know, to saving money and putting that money aside, why it shouldn't be the government paying for everything, why you can have some skin in the game and do so and have uh, tax policy that makes sense that promotes education. Um, you know, from a, a budget and standpoint perspective, you know, everybody talks about taxes, but what does that really mean? Increasing taxes, decreasing taxes, how does that affect you as a, as a, as as a mom who may be the sole breadwinner in your household, or maybe you are providing the secondary income, or maybe your, your, your spouse is the, the sole provider, but you make those financial decisions. And so you're, you're, you're trying to understand where's the economy, where's the job market, um, as couples make decisions about where to move to, they're thinking about where do I find a job, the housing prices, all of these, all of the economic data that you know people's eyes glaze over. Um, we try to make that make sense and and um, and resonate with your day to day activities and your day to day decision making. So I do everything from writing opinion pieces um, in local and national news outlets to going on television and talking about politics of the day or the or economic issues of the day. Um, I speak to students. I do I do lots of different things because I guess I I love communications and I love the the, the policy analysts analysis and the economic analysis. So I'm able to marry those really well in the work that we that I do at IWF and that's what we do. So we are all women. Uh, many of us are moms <laughs> um, and we but we all understand come to this come to the table with a skill set and expertise in different issue areas. And I think it's great because we're coming from it from a perspective of the government is not the solution to everything. They're, the government can play a role, but sometimes the government's roles are to uh, undermine your individual responsibility, your rights, your freedoms, and how do we make government states get back into the its rightful role and, and, and the right place for it. And obviously, so on that topic, we have a new administration coming in in January. There are so many changes that we can expect. So what are one or two policy topics that you've been focused on recently and see as really important in the new year? Oof, there are so many. <laughs> um, one of the biggest things I'm, I'm focused on, though, is labor. Uh, so the so labor policy, you know, our ability to work um, as employees or as small business owners, as entrepreneurs. Um, I think everybody right now recognizes, you know, your ability to earn a living is so critical. Um, and the pandemic has challenged that for millions of people who are laid off and are still trying to find a job. Um and so what are the policies that encourage job creation? What are the policies that encourage people who want to be entrepreneurs and small business owners to go out there, to hang their shingle, to, you know, find their, their customer base and to build and scale, you know, what role can government play in promoting that and advancing that? And then what role does government play in, in hampering that and hindering people? Um, and and it's, it's interesting when I talk to uh, older people, older Americans, seasoned, I like to call them. <laughs> older folks, um, but people who built businesses from the ground up, they tell me, Patrice, I couldn't do this today because of the regulations. I couldn't do this because of the, the environment that we're in right now. Um, and so, and, and that's worrisome because what we want is a nation of entrepreneurs. And we also want a nation of workers. If, if being an entrepreneur is not your thing, that's fine. Um, you should be able to work wherever you want to. We should have ample jobs being created by our economy and we should not have have regulations that make it difficult for you to start and grow your business. And so that's where I focus a lot of my attention when it comes to labor. Um, 
laws that that suddenly make you know being an independent contractor um, no longer possible by reclassifying them. I mean, uh, when we look at the incoming Biden administration, as you asked, um, they are very gung ho about. Um, laws that would promote unionization. And while yes, unions have played a role historically and can play an important role in different industries, a lot of the efforts unions are trying to do is to undercut entrepreneurship, undercut business, um, would increase the cost of having employees, would make it difficult for, for people who wanna work and don't want to be part of a union. Um, and, and we've seen how when you unionize certain uh, industries, you actually have some, some unintended bad consequences. Police forces, for example, we see unions, uh, uh, collective bargaining is part of why bad, bad cop apples stay on the forces or jump from force to force. So like there are lots of, there, there's so many different industries, so many things that get wrapped up in labor policy, but it's where I'm spending a, a lot of my time. And then uh, I do a lot on the tax front. And so I'm, I'm very concerned <laughs> that uh, the incoming Biden administration is going to want to take back the 2017 tax cuts. Um, that's going to lead to an increase in taxes for workers and not just low income, high income workers, but middle class workers, low income workers. I mean, the IRS itself said that nine out of 10 people who get a paycheck were, were got a pay cut or uh, sorry, a tax cut because of the, the 2017 tax cut. So that's a great thing. You got a bigger check just by the government taking less of your money. That's great. Um, right. So now you have people in an incoming administration who says, no, no, we're going to scale some of that back. And they've said it's only going to be for some or some earners, high income earners. But we really don't know because how they're going to fund a lot of the policies that uh, their supporters and uh, and folks on their camp want to push for. It's going to be costly. And so I can I can foresee tax increases for you, for me, for regular folks out there who are just trying to make it work and, and, and make the ends meet right now. Right. And as you said, especially during this time in this pandemic, people need their paychecks more than ever and they need all that they can get and not extra taxes on those. Yeah. So kind of stepping back a bit, back to IWF, um, IWF is a fairly rare organization in that it caters to more moderate and independent thinkers as well as conservatives. Why do you think it's so important to have a place for those who aren't on the extremes? Because most people are not on the extremes. <laughs> I, it, what's funny is when you watch the news every night, what you see are uh, stories about extremes, the extreme far left and what they're, they're talking about and doing, extreme far right and what they're talking about and doing. I mean, I was ranting to my husband last night while I was watching the local news that they are showing clips of DC preparing for potential marches by Proud Boys in DC, uh, here in DC, depending on how the Georgia Senate race goes. Well, wait a minute, the Proud Boys do not represent all conservatives. And they have a, a video clip of one of the incoming Republican women who wants to arm herself and is a, a Second Amendment advocate. They're throwing her clip in there along with Proud Boys and and video clips of, of, of folks destroying property. And I'm like, whoa, that is not what all conservatives, all Second Amendment advocates are about. They're not, we are not all Proud Boys. Hello, I'm not a Proud Boy. 
And so a lot of the news is just about the extremes and, and it's hard for regular women out there to f- figure out, okay, what is, where, where actually is the truth? You know, where is the data and how do I make these, these decisions and decipher? And so that's the, the role that we at IWF play. I mean, we're speaking, I mean, we speak to women who are Republican, proud of it. We speak to women who are liberal and proud of it. We speak to women who are unaffiliated, who are independent, who, who you know, depending on the issue, will vote based on, 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 on the issue, not on a party affiliation. And I think that gives us a place to speak to women across the board because common sense solutions don't have a party affiliation attached to them. Um, and on different issues, you see bipartisan support, bipartisan agreement. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I love that we get to p- bring people together. We get to bring together feminists and athletes when we talk about transgender issues in sports right now for high school students. I think that's, Charlotte, that's one of the issues you've been covering. On on the criminal justice front, we bring together folks like the ACLU and um, the American Conservative Union, two opposite sides of the fence coming together because they're, they're parts of our criminal justice system that are broken. And then we, as an independent women's forum, we can talk about the women's unique angle. Um, so that's what we do. And, and it's so much fun because we get to break stereotypes. Right. I think that IWF has a really important role or position because we are a women's organization. But I feel like most women's organizations we hear about are always far left or they're just talking about one issue. We talk about a variety of issues because we know that all these issues are important and affect women and their lives. Exactly. And you know what? It gives us, Charlotte, a, a really great opportunity to highlight the conservative women the independent thinking women who often get overlooked. I mean, it's it's amazing that we have um, probably the highest number of Republican women in Congress right now after this election cycle. And yes, it's not as many as Democratic women, sure, but why not celebrate that? We don't see any magazines covering it, no women's blogs and women's websites that promote feminism and promote women's empowerment. None of they're silent on it. And you know, it, it's it's hypocrisy, sure. Um, but it's an opportunity for us to call it out as an organization and say, hey, we'll celebrate something historic that a woman on the left does, just like we celebrate something historic that women on the right do, women on the right do. That's true empowerment. And I think that makes us a place for bipartisan women's empowerment. So speaking of empowerment, at the Steamboat Institute, we are really focused on empowering young conservatives. What makes you optimistic about the next generation of conservatives or not optimistic? <laughs> I am optimistic. Um, I, I, there is like this rabid, um, infectious energy that is like, light, like lightning right now going through young conservatives. And there are some really, there are some leading groups, uh, young groups that are, I think, leading the charge and trying to rally young people to understand that big government is not the solution. And I think that's great. Um, and I think, but even more than that, I think there are young people who are challenging a lot of the, the, the common, um, the norms and some some of the, the what what has become um, so commonplace and common thought in, in, in our culture right now. I mean, I'm at the beginning of the millennial generation. We were told go to call, go to a four year college, spend as much as it takes, get the best uh, brand name university you can. Sure, you will you will incur a lot of debt, but it's okay because you'll get a great job after you graduate and you can pay it off after a while. 
And that didn't happen. And I, I'm very public. I have over $80,000 of student loan debt largely from my graduate degree, but I'm representative of many millennials who are straddled in debt. Our younger siblings and probably uh, those who are maybe even our kids at this point, the Gen Zs, they're like, heck no, we are not doing that. They're open to not going to a four-year college, but still pursuing lifelong learning. They are open to entrepreneurship. They are they are they are thinking about it very differently about the kind of life they want to build, not based on this four year to college track to success, but lots of different tracks to success. And I'm going to choose the one that's best for me. So that's part that's 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 a part of why I'm I'm, I'm in I believe in this young generation. I think they've seen a resurgence in in conservatism. They've seen a Republican president um, who has not been afraid to challenge the norms to push back against uh, the the onslaught of political of PC culture and woke culture now. And they're standing up and saying, no, we're not going to accept it. Um, and I want to see more of that from this generation. And that's why what I love about Steamboat is that, you know, a lot of organizations talk about helping young people, but Steamboat actually puts young people forward, um, makes them the, the the focus, their career development, the focus. I mean, I'm a Tony Blankley fellow. It's a great example of that. You guys amplify my work. The, the college activism, um, the college tour, campus tour, Liberty tour, giving young people a chance to talk to influencers rather than like shuffling the influ the, the speakers behind the stage and letting the big donors come and have their meet and greet. Young people actually get to have FaceTime. That, that's, that's fantastic. That can change a young person's life. That can change their trajectory. Um, and so, so that's why I'm, I'm, I'm excited about where conservatives, conservativism is going. And I think that, you know, groups like the Steamboat Institute are, are really helping to build this next generation of leaders. Well, thank you. And thank you for joining us today. To our listeners, if you've enjoyed our conversation today, please subscribe to Liberty Chats on your podcast app for new episodes every month. Thanks again. Thank you for listening to today's Liberty Chat. I'm Erica Anderson, the producer of the podcast. Our podcast editor is Fingers Malloy. My co-producers include Charlotte Whalen, Zachary Rogers, Lindsay Martin, and Christina Eastman, all members of the Steamboat Institute's Emerging Leaders Council, who represent the next generation of free market, free speech leadership. We hope you tune in again for our next Liberty Chat episode.